This is a Federal News Network podcast. The federal financial management workforce is in need of a transformation. CFO shops are facing a disruption from technology, from automation, and from a host of other emerging innovations. Evan Farley is the Director of Audit Management and Accountability at the General Services Administration and a co-leader of the CFO Council's workforce modernization effort. He tells Executive Editor Jason Miller about a recent request for information the Council issued to drive that transformation. The ability for us to sustain a success throughout our future is, you know, we need to find new ways to prepare and shape that workforce forward. And again, to shape the workforce was the name of our of our little working group. We need to figure out some ways like how do we leverage technology to support our workforce? How do we support the consolidation of recruitment and streamline the hiring process, which is, you know, fairly arduous, which is probably no (laughs) surprise to you or your listeners. You know, and how do we develop and add new tools for retention and staff development? So at the end, we sort of concluded we ultimately need in our workforce for the 21st century that does a number of things or addresses a number of challenges. And one of which is, you know, our federal CFOs really want to shift their organizational responsibilities from sort of that routine, repeatable transactions that we all face with every day to high value efforts, business partnerships, supporting decision making, those sorts of things. And we need our workforce that has those skills. And the other two things are, you know, we need to create or support a professional workforce that has those skills to match those current and future needs. And, you know, we also need to assess and adapt to the ways technology is changing the way we work. So on the basis of that, you mentioned GSA, but actually, you know, this was a CFO Council initiative. The CFO Council is sort of umbrella under GSA, but it covers all the 24 CFO Act agencies. So it was it was something that was delved into by a number of deputy CFOs across the federal workspace. So I don't want to take too much credit for GSA, but that's sort of where it started. The one thing that stands out to me, and, and you all put out an RFI, and that's kind of the impetus for why we're talking. We're going to get to mm-hmm. that in a second. But this is not a new problem. I think the CFO community has been talking about the, the need to change the workforce, to update the workforce. Is there a reason why now is a better time than it was a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago? Is it the technology? Is it what? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think this has always been a need to make sure that we are you know, shaping a workforce to meet current and future needs. But I think, I think you did hit upon it. The technology both provides the opportunity and the challenge for what we're, for what we're looking to do. And I think, you know, with the advent of RPA and, and certain types of artificial intelligence automations, that opportunity has never been more acute than it is in recent years. So it's, it's a good congruence of a, a number of people saying, hey, we need to do this. At the same time, it's pretty obvious that technology is going to change the way we work both now and in the future. Let's talk about the RFI a little bit. You all released it just recently. Give me a sense of what the goals are around it. What are you trying to learn from industry? And then we'll get to what comes next. This is what we're ultimately seeking. I mean, we're looking for training and content providers that have, you know, current content that covers a large or you might say maybe a critical swath of our employees' knowledge needs. Um, We're looking for folks with strong delivery capabilities. Uh, I should say strong virtual delivery capabilities because obviously we know the way we're working these days. We need them to be scalable to sort of meet the needs of what is a large workforce. And we need them to sort of work with us to make sure that, you know, this sort of pilot or this sort of concept, which you might call it, say, 1.0, you know, when we try to figure out what to do in the future, we want to have partners that say, like, hey, this is a good way to do business. This is ultimately the way to go. And, and, you know, if you think about the challenges we're trying to address with this request for information, you know, we have a couple of stretch goals that were given for us by the Office of Management and Budget. 
yeah, we recognize the need that we need to have sort of upscaling training. I don't know if that's actually a true, a true word, but we'll use it for today. And we were told, hey, give us a solution that is feasible in a very short amount of time with no upfront funding and to work with industry directly. So, so that's why we're doing what we're doing. We have this RFI out there to try to get, first of all, the market to come to us and to come to us with sort of best fit training content. And, you know, we also want to sort of in some ways create a marketplace. We've got about 140,000 or so folks in the financial management community. So there's a large pool of people out there who are hungry for some of this training. And, you know, we want to have a tool out there that gives them the competency training they need from a trusted provider that's sort of college level or the equivalent. And it's easy to maintain. You know, we did not want to build some sort of learning management system, you know, take two or three years and millions of dollars. You know, we wanted something that was agile. We can partner with private industry or, or academia and get it launched quite quickly. And, and you know, we think the RFI we've put out there is, you know, the way we're going to get there. You kind of answered my next question because you want to do it quickly. Part of an RFI, everyone wants to know, okay, so I, su- I submit my re- responses and then what? They go into this black hole of procurement. Mm-hmm. And nothing happens or, or something happens, but we won't know until it happens. What is your goals? What is the, the CFO Council's goals once you kind of look at the RFI? This is a fairly atypical RFI because we're not going through a, a traditional procurement strategy. You know, we're, we're sort of looking to partner with industry and with academia in a way that I wouldn't say hasn't been done before, but again, certainly is atypical. And as we're looking to evaluate the proposals that come back, you know, you can look on the website and see what the evaluation criteria are. But just sort of in a nutshell, you know, we're looking for, for providers that have got the sort of reputation to be able to provide this sort of content. You know, does it align well with the needs of our financial management community? Um, do they have an effective delivery model? Is it scalable? Is it innovative? You know, those sorts of things will be a part of the evaluation panel. And, you know, so sort of what comes next is, you know, we're going we're gonna to sit down here and obviously look at those responses versus those sort of factors, but we're also going to have one-on-one virtual sessions with those providers to really poke at their proposals and to see if it aligns with those seven factors. And, you know, as best as we can project, you know, maybe a half a dozen or so providers might meet those criteria, or, or at least we're looking to have half a dozen or so of those folks, or I should say companies or, or providers be picked to work with us. And we're looking at getting this off the ground fairly quickly. We're looking to select somewhere in the January timeframe and to have this thing launched in February to March. And I don't think I've, I've hit upon it earlier, uh, you know, but the one thing that makes this a little different than building a learning management system is, you know, we've got a set of core competencies for the financial management community, about 54 things uh, so in terms of sort of knowledge, skills, and abilities. And what we're looking to do is sort of take those and have a site that links it to the content that will enable our, our folks to learn and develop those competencies. So we're, so we're not trying to create content. We're not trying to you know, invent or, or create a learning management system. We're in essence are putting together a site that will say, hey, if my name's Jason Miller and I wanna work on competency X because I'm a GS12 accountant, that's mapped to those CFO council competencies. And now here are six providers that have got sort of vetted content that will align to what you want to learn or develop in yourself and then off you go. And you procure that through however you procure your trading normally. So we're not gonna have an upfront budget. We're not gonna have people to put money again up front. It's going to be, hey, you know, if you wanna use a purchase card under the threshold and take a course over there, 
we're providing you a path to do that. And, you know, it, it, it saves us the trouble of trying to manage this huge system. It saves us the expense. And again, it puts the onus on the provider to say, hey, here's my good content. Here's what aligns. And we maintain it that way. In, in many ways, this is a service that, that the CFO Council is looking to provide the current set of educational opportunities that are out there. As you looked at them, was there not enough? Was there not the right ones? Was what, What's wrong with what exists today? Because I know, for instance, there are, well, we, I brought up USA Learning as an example from mm-hmm. OPM, and that's been around for quite several years. But also, you can bring up some of the stuff that, that you get through, I think, Treasury Department and Bureau of Fiscal Service, and, and there's some, some content there as well. Well, I wouldn't say there's anything wrong with the content, but what we're trying to do is make it easier for people to, to access you know, vetted content that meets certain criteria that aligns to their career development goals or to what we say that if, hey, if you're a GS-12 accountant and you want to be a GS-13 accountant, you know, these are the knowledge, skills, and abilities, according to the CFO council, that you need to perform at that level. And if you're trying to develop that, here's an easy way to come up with, you know, again, let's just say six providers, if it turns out to be that who can provide you that content already vetted, and here's a link to get right to them. Because part of it also is, I don't want to say there's too many choices, but it might be difficult for individuals to try to navigate this on their own. And we're trying to do a quick, cheap way to easily you know, marry the requirements of the workforce to a content provider. And I think that's sort of the real strength of what we're trying to do. Evan Farley is the Director of Audit Management and Accountability at the General Services Administration and a co-leader of the CFO Council's Workforce Modernization Effort. He spoke there with Federal News Network's Jason Miller. And you can find this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy. with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm. I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates 
uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day and I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention and it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and... Um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? 
Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing, if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person, or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.